On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking to the president of the Hamilton Tiger Cats about the announcement that the team will be hosting the 2023 Grey Cup. They already had 2021. Surprise announcement that there's going to be a second Grey Cup here in Hamilton. We'll talk about that. And we're going to talk soccer. We don't talk soccer a lot on this show, but we are today because what happened this week with Team Canada, all of a sudden, you can be a fan of Canada's men's team and it not be an embarrassment. It's a good, good day if you're a soccer fan. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So like most other people today, I'm sitting at my computer uh, working away and all of a sudden a press release comes across my screen announcing to me and to the world that the Hamilton Tiger Cats already hosting the Grey Cup this year are also going to be hosting the Grey Cup in 2023. I did a double take. I actually did. I, I looked and I went, wait, did they make a typo? Is this a reminder email that for those of us who may have forgotten that they were hosting the Grey Cup this year, as if we could forget? Nope. The CFL has given the Hamilton Ticats not only this year's, which they already had, but two years from now, we will be hosting, this city will be hosting again. In case you're wondering, Yes, this is unusual. Doesn't usually happen that a team gets two in such quick succession. The reason? Well, you can probably guess, right? What's, what's the thing that has been controlling us for the last 19 or 20 months? It has an effect everywhere. I want to bring in Matt Afnick. He's the president and COO of the Hamilton Ticats. He joins us now. Matt, how are you tonight? I'm excellent, Scott. Thank you for having me. You are a young man, Matt. Do you Can you even remember... And not just from highlight reels. Can you even remember the last Grey Cup in Hamilton? Oh, I remember it well. Yes, the snowball. The, in my opinion, one of the greatest catches in CFL history. Downtown Eddie Brown. So remember it fondly, even though it was twenty-five years ago. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, so good. So first of all, con- congratulations on that, because a lot of people go, oh, "Yeah, the snowball." Do you remember it well? I've seen highlights. Uh, so better for you yeah. for knowing that. But that it, you know, it is remarkable it how long it's been since there has been a Grey Cup here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, listen, the league uh, has come a long way in, in 25 years. The league's come a long way in, in 10 years, frankly. And, you know, Grey Cups now are about a competitive bid process. And you have to put your best foot forward uh, to, the, to the host committee of, of the CFL to outline your plan and, and a detailed plan at that to uh, earn the right to host the Grey Cup. There's no uh, rotation. There's no, you know, you've got to bid to get it. So, circumstantially that's a big part of it Scott and and so too is obviously having a world-class facility which we've been fortunate to have in this city uh, since 2014 but uh, you know it's a huge factor here in in or a component of the factor of, of what was announced today it reflects uh, it reflects the great stadium that we have so um, all very positive yeah and, and look two two great cups in three years especially after such a long drought is a great opportunity for the city and for people who are fans here uh, whether they're diehard Ticat fans or fans of football or just fans of an event uh, Hamilton does very well traditionally with big events um, so all those things great opportunity for the city but why has it happened all of a sudden that we've got these two I mean I mentioned COVID but deeper dive into that why has COVID led to us having two great cups well, you, you said it perfectly, Scott. Like, I, I don't think there's much in life or business that hasn't had uh, a, a, an impact based on COVID circumstances and not just, you know, the, the public health um, side of this, obviously, which is most important in people's safety, but just, you know, the uncertainty that it's created in operations for business, for people, for their own lives. Uh, and, and the Grey Cup certainly didn't escape that. And, and when we looked at this and said, you know, 
the 25-year gap, how amazing Tiger Cat fans are um, in supporting our club and, and, and Hamilton really being a market where football matters a lot, that, you know, the determination was made that, that our fans and our city deserve better. And, and the ability to deliver what will be an awesome game at full capacity on December 12th in 2021 with some events um, supporting it in a modified festival is, is great. It's, uh, I think everyone's going to have a great time on that day, but that's not the bid that we put forth. Um, that's not the event that we know we can deliver and that our fans and our city deserve. And that in a normal operating climate, that's exactly what we would deliver and uh, intend to deliver. And again, kudos and thanks to the Board of Governors of the CFL for uh, you know seeing that and by extension awarding us the, the 2023 Grey Cup, which is really just a reflection of giving us and our fans the opportunity to experience the magic of a Grey Cup and a Grey Cup festival that's unencumbered in planning and execution by a global pandemic. Let's talk about that global pandemic for a second. How has that and what's been going on and the changes in regulations and rules and all, how has that affected your planning for this year's Grey Cup? Well, I think, Scott, what it is, it's that notion of uncertainty. And, and we got a great um, level of certainty last week with, with the province. And we've been working, as all pro sports teams across sports um, in, the, in the province have been doing with uh, the provincial government since this, this started, um, to get back to full capacity in seated venues. That was a huge milestone and step forward. You know, there are still limitations in place relative to what you can do. Things like general admission and indoor venues comes to mind. There, there are still restrictions um, that have an impact in the operation. And not knowing for good reason, again, people's health is, is always first and foremost most paramount. But as we've gone through this over the course of the last months and, and year, just the uncertainty about when those things might change creates a situation definitive decisions on material things. And you know, as you grow closer to something as complex and big as running a Grey Cup festival, you know, you just need certain allowances of time to make sure um, that you can meet the expectations of your fans, uh, the requirements of, of the business model of it all. And just, you know, we find ourselves at a time right now um, where we're 59 days away. So hmm. focusing on delivering an amazing game experience on December 12th, which is what the fans um, and listeners should hear from me, is, is the Grey Cup on December 12th is going to be the same as any Grey Cup you would experience, pandemic or otherwise. Big halftime shows, big pregame entertainment, pageantry, ceremonies, Canadian finest. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The CFL has talked about that, that there have been obviously challenges with this one. And I want to, this is the last thing I want to ask about this year, but the challenges this year, some of the things that they've talked about, the modified Grey Cup in the press release today. My question to you is you're the one and, and your organization is the one that has to start to deal with these changes on the fly. Is it, I understand how complicated it might be to add something because you have to book someone or whatever else. Is it easy or is it difficult to undo some of the stuff that you had planned to do? Um, good question. And, you know, I think it starts with, well, there's a host committee in a league office. Like we, we, we obviously work uh, in close collaboration with, with our partners at the CFL and, you know, there's a department um, within the CFL that is simply accountable to events and, and the biggest of those being Grey Cup. So there isn't this, you're responsible for this, we're responsible for that. We really do work collectively on everything. And, you know, we've been at, you know, modifications, concepts around modification for, you know, some time now. Um, I think it just got to the point where, you know, when the willingness to discuss potentially adding 2023, you know, 
gave us some flexibility to say, well, listen, you know, we can think about this different in 2021 and still honor, um, you know, our fans by giving them the Grey Cup that they deserve. So, you know, as we've gone through this and, and some of the modifications, as, as it says there, Scott, and I, I was kind of on this before we, we jumped off there, but there's no modifications to the game. We won't be expanding the stadium. It'll be 24,000 seats as Tim Hortons Field is uh, sitting there today. Uh, but there's no modifications to the game and the game experience. There are elements within the festival that the events just aren't possible or are not um, going to have the same integrity of what they would be in a non-COVID environment. So our choice is to not do them. But the, the, there will be events. There will certainly be organic events. As we know, depending on what games are, or excuse me, what teams are fortunate enough to qualify for the game itself, we'll have visitors in from across Canada to support their teams. The bars will be busy. The restaurants will be busy. And we'll coordinate what other types of events we can do as we get closer to. And it's only 59 days. But, you know, I think in the coming weeks, we're going to work with the league to say things like our convention center or things like, you know, other event venues in the city. Are there quick and reasonable things we can pull together to support this? That's what we mean about modifying. Mm. You mentioned about the team that is fortunate enough to be there. You obviously want the Ticats to be there for all kinds of reasons. You're a fan, you work for them, all the rest of the things. But from a, a business, from an economic perspective, is, is there a demonstrative benefit to having the home team in the Grey Cup? Well, I think, you know, it, it depends how you're defining that. Obviously, one of the great benefits to, to Grey Cup um, is is tourism. And one of the reasons why you have partners of the city and the province is, is to drive you know, the tangible amount of tourism that a Grey Cup does. So by that measure, having out-of-market teams is obviously great. Um, and in a huge economic return for, you know, the city and, and people within the businesses within the city. As it relates to the host team um, being in it, that adds a different dynamic and energy because the entire local market is engaged. We've been, you know, fortunate or unfortunate, depending how you want to define that, um, playing against the host team in 2013 in Regina and having yep. been to a lot of Grey Cups, you know, I can tell you that one felt different. Playing the Riders in Regina for Grey Cup felt different. It felt like it was a, a Rider game. So, you know, by that measure, of course, you, you want the local team to be in it because it just changes the vibe of, of everything around it. There's just a, a great casual interest across the market when the home team's in it. 20, uh, we're not going to say 2021 is a is a practice run. That's not it at all. But will having had a game in 2021 help you when you go to put on the game in 2023? Um, I think elements for sure. Um, you know, again, I think uh, not having the stadium expansion in 21, um, you know, that would have been a material uh, change to 2023. Just operationally, I think that probably would have been a, um, you know, something that would have aided, you know, we're, we've become experts in operating our own building and putting on what we think are great events at Tim Hortons Field. But certainly there's, you know, Scott, there's many partners involved in this from Tourism Hamilton to the league to other entities across the city that, yeah, I think while all are experts in what they do, uh, operating businesses or, or event businesses or, or tourism businesses, you know, I think having that group come together to work together on a Grey Cup in advance of the one coming in 2023, I don't see any harm or I see lots of benefits coming from that for sure. Uh, tickets for the game this December go on sale in a little over a week. Now, you mentioned that the stadium is not being expanded. Teams that go get in, they get an allotment of tickets. The league gets an allotment of tickets. Your season ticket holders can get their tickets. Do we know how many tickets are going to be available to the public now when this thing opens? 
Well, I think there's there's a few kind of steps before we get there, Scott. So, you know, as you can appreciate up until last Friday at 4 p.m., we didn't know how many people we could put in the stadium, whether it was expanded or not, right? So okay. we're, we're, we're new to this. So now that we're at full capacity, obviously the full capacity of Tim Hortons Field is uh, just over 24,000. So that's the number we should be working towards. Greg Cup tickets have been on sale for the better part of nine months. Our season seat holders, as they've always been, are, have been phenomenal. And the demand has been, has been great. Uh, we have a, uh, you know, a process within the CFL where we reward all of our best fans. So season seat holders from across the league, uh, they'll have a pre-sale opportunity um, next week in advance of the public sale. So CFL season ticket holders from the other eight teams go next and then the public on sale by the 26th. So based on what we've seen to date, the demand has been amazing. And I think people that want to, um, you know, get to the Grey Cup on December 12th that aren't a season seat holder should be logging on at 10 a.m. on uh, the 26th of October to make sure they can get a ticket. We have 30 seconds, and this is only tangentially related to what we're talking about, but there has always been a suggestion, or at least it's been bouncing around, that the expanded seating would be kept up, perhaps, and then used with the Maple Leafs outdoor game. Um, mm-hmm. Does do the two have anything to do with each other? Will that affect the Leafs outdoor game with the seating not going up, the expanded seating not going up? Well, I think that decision, um, you know, is better answered by the NHL. Um, that said, uh, you know, in our discussions, um, in the partnership to bring the Heritage Classic to Hamilton, certainly the Grey Cup being here with an expanded venue was part of the dialogue, but it was not contingent on that event coming here. I think the NHL was working through scenarios where the seats were there or the seats weren't there. And you know, I'm not going to speak for them, but obviously it's a different vantage point to a hockey arena than it is a football field and how great are those seats so what i would say is it was never a condition of of the heritage classic coming that that seating was there though we obviously discussed it but uh was certainly not a condition of the event matt affinick coo and president of the hamilton ticats uh listen congratulations on landing this today i think a lot of people were surprised but a lot of people were pleasantly surprised thanks for taking the time tonight Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Have a good evening. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Right now, let me bring in our good friend. He's just off the air. He is uh, probably exhausted from doing the sports live on CHCH, but he's with us anyway. Bubba O'Neill, how are you, my friend? Glad to see that I've I've elevated to good friend. Oh, you've been good friend for a long time. We just don't admit it all the time. (laughs) I don't be thinking about feeling that way in about 10 minutes from now when we're at war. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if we'll be at war today because I got to tell you that what I wanted to t- start talking with you about today, how do you argue, how do you have any disagreement about that soccer game last night? For people who don't know, Canada is trying to qualify for the World Cup. Last time Canada played in the World Cup was 1986. And since 1986, Canada's national men's soccer team has generally been a debacle. And now they're playing Panama in Toronto at BMO Field. And Bubba, that was like, this is not Canada soccer that we are used to. Well, it's certainly not your, your, your mom's or your dad's Canadian men's national soccer team. Let me put, tell you what I put on Twitter last night as, as this was watching. And this was even before the Alfonso Davies goal. The day has come that a Can- a Canada's men's national soccer game is the headliner over the Maple Leafs. This team is real. Like, I, I was, you know, as you and I do, we you know, follow along on Twitter, and of course there's a lot of people and fans that are out there, and of course a lot of media types that are you know, expressing their feelings. I haven't seen a storm like that 
on Twitter while the game was going on in years. Uh, it's it's been ages since I've and especially for a soccer game. I mean, you think about the soccer game with the women playing the gold medal game at the Olympics. Plus this uh, leads me to believe that I'm not saying we're soccer we're soccer uh, soccer nation, but we're slowly transitioning from just being quote a hockey country to something else as well. And this is fun to watch. Well, yeah, and, and look, I'm I'm not going to pretend that I'm the world's biggest soccer fan. I'm not. Those people are out there, and if I was to try and convince them that I am, they would see through me in a second. But the reality is that when you've got and and Bob, I think part of the reason for that, let's be honest, part of the reason for that is what we just talked about. If you grew up in this country, the soccer that you've been able to watch, unless you watch Premiership soccer or Bundesliga or something, the soccer, the domestic soccer that we've watched has been generally terrible, or at least so second rate that you would go, okay, why would I really want to watch that? And now you're right. You've got a women's team that is a gold medalist in the Olympics. You've got uh, TFC just down the road that won the championship not that long ago. Uh, you've got other soccer around here in Hamilton, and now you've got a men's team that finally you're not embarrassed to root for because there's a chance they're going to win, which is new. I mean, it's all coming together. It, it really is, and and you're right. I mean, and it does start, I think, at the grassroots, and I think that's why right here in Hamilton, watching Forge FC win back-to-back championships, is it, is it, 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 it's raising interest. We're seeing more Hamiltonians playing soccer. Uh, you know, Ryan Raposo playing out there with the yep. Vancouver Whitecaps, and we've got one uh, Corbinanu that's playing with at. Um, uh, Wolves in in the Premier League. So we're producing. We, we, we not just the Hamilton area, but the Canada are producing these incredible players. And Alfonso Davies stands among the top of them as arguably one of the top five players in the world. And I think that he comes over to this team. Jonathan David as well, too, very well known, maybe top fifty in the world. And I, I, it's like they're carrying this belief on their face and on the way they play. Most importantly that we're no longer going to be pushed around any longer. We're not going to be laughed at any longer. And you have a manager that also did such a wonderful job in transitioning the female women's game uh, team to world class. You know, that they're, you know, can, I think continually at the, you know, during his run, running, being the manager of that women's team, they're tops in world competitions. So he's transitioned over to the men's team and it's like it's all, like I said, it's all coming together. And I don't know where this is going to go and where this is going to finish, but I, I think I, I think what it's done is it's created excitement. We haven't seen a crowd like that at BMO Field, certainly for the Argonauts. I'm not not poking no. fun, but no. but being being honest here, we no. I, I can't remember seeing BMO Field that electrified since the TFC Championship game. Right, and this might right. have been even more because it was all in union. It was. I've never. It's been years since I've seen so many Canadian flags being waved like that. It's wild. Well, since since Vancouver Olympics. Yeah. I mean, so it's eleven yeah. years since, yeah. and that was a go. unique circumstance. So here, here here's something that I'm still trying to figure out, and I, I truly don't know the answer. I'm not even coming at this with a with a hot take. I don't know the answer. John Herdman. You mentioned John Herdman was the coach of the women's team. They became. I'll turn off my phone. I just took a penalty because my phone was on tonight. Well, that's a first. Um, dollars, buddy. Yeah, no, I'll have to. I'll put it in the. Uh, I'll put it in the jar. Um, so John Herdman was the coach of the women's team. They, as you say, become great. He goes over to the men's team. 
they become much, much, much better. Is it John Herdman that is doing this? Or is John Herdman arriving at these places at the perfect time? Because with Canada's team, with the women, he had Christine Sinclair and Melissa Tancredi and some other stars. And now he's got Alfonso Davies, who, as you say, is one of the best players in the world. Is this a guy who hits the right place at the right time? Or is he the guy that turns the place into the right place? I think it's a bit of both. Because in both situations, you had teams that were budding, that were budding and had budding talent, and especially the women's team. But they, the players could not stand the manager. I cannot remember the, the woman's name who was the manager. Hardcore, bit of a hard ass. They just didn't like her. And they fell in love with uh, John because of his different... I mean, Christine Sinclair said it. His approach and the way he treated the players was completely different. So, I mean, I'm sure he's hard on them. Um, maybe he's a player's coach. I don't know what it is, but his strategy seemed to be working. And now he's taking it to the men's game from where he originally came from. And he, he played a high level of soccer as well, too. So I think there's respect, respect level there. He comes in there with the men's program from another guy that had a lot of talent but couldn't get things right. And now, let's be honest, in any sport, winning just brings attention to the team. And when you're winning... Maybe we could translate this into the the men's basketball team, right? All of a sudden, when you become a winning program with respectable people running your program, all these young kids and, you know, even some of the veteran professionals that that have spurned these teams saying, nah, I'm not playing for our country. Now they want to play for the country. Hmm. And that's the difference. Well, with this with this men's team, what makes it so interesting is that you've got these young players that are anywhere from 20 years old to about 25 years old that can put together a solid, almost a run of 10 years for what we can see from now on, and that's yeah, remarkable. That is, that is, and your and your best, your biggest star. He's 20, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got you've got time. The one thing that we're going to see now with this Canadian team that's going to be new for them, I think, is that literally up until last night, I think the there was hope that they might be okay, but I don't think there was much in the way of expectation, I think, because we've grown accustomed to Canada's team failing on the men's side. And I think last night changes this, and I think now they are going to have to deal with expectations that they've never, ever had before. And that, you know, I, I'm not saying they're going to start losing all of a sudden, but that can be an anchor. That can be a little thing that you're wearing on your shoulders that you're going to have to deal with now that people really think you should win as opposed yeah, I, to just hoping you might. But you know what, though? And I think, and you're probably pretty right with that because now everyone's talking about this team. But you know what? This is the difference between this year and the, what, this new team on, and, and I guess I'll even say the women's team. They share that expectation. They're okay with that expectation. They expect to win. They don't shy from the attention. They want to be noticed. They want to be winners. And I think when you think when your mentality is fixed that way, all that additional press and media, you know how to deal with it, and you're okay with it. And I think that's the difference this, this time, Scott. And and it doesn't. They don't. They, instead of seeing it as an anchor, like some teams would in the past, that you know win a couple here, lose a couple there, raise the hopes of some. Their expectations are just as high, maybe even higher than what we've set for them. Mm. And I think that's the difference. And I think that's why this team will succeed. 
And I wonder too, one other thing before, I want to jump to something else, but just one more thing on this soccer team. Uh, Alfonso Davies, clearly, if you watch the game last night, even if you're not a big time soccer fan, if you're flipping the channels, uh, it's pretty clear who Alfonso Davies is. You don't even have to see the name on shirt. Look for the guy who dominates the game. That's Alfonso Davies. He is a, just a tremendous talent. And you're right. I think that his involvement has maybe generated some, well, if he's going to play, I'm going to play kind of thing. But I, I go back now. I wonder if 15 years ago, if if we're on a 15-year or so delay, because there was a guy named Owen Hargraves, who was a pretty good Canadian player, who decided he wasn't he was going to leave and not play for Canada at least not very often and I, I I wonder if this might have happened a while back if you'd had a star player who was playing big time European soccer play for Canada if it might have had the same lure to bring people in no I, I don't think so Scott and let me tell you why because at that time there was no domestic you need and this they've been saying this for years we needed to have a domestic program we needed to have uh, soccer be big at the lower levels. And at that time, you're getting one or two you know, kids that were able to be, you know, to be noticed, we'll say, getting U.S. scholarships, playing in the NCAA. Now that's the norm, right? Because the, the, the system, the coaching, there. in fact, I hate to say this because, and I think people in Soccer Canada would, would agree to this, at that time, there was real, Soccer Canada was not a system. You know, you look at Hockey Canada, and that's the model, Right. But they've adopted a similar thing, and no different with basketball as well, too. We have a program now, and we have enough people, qualified people, running these programs instead of some rinky-dink pro, you know, uh, organization. These are well-respected programs now that, are, that players are, are, are willing to come and play for now. And I think that's the difference from back then. There just wasn't a, a good enough talent base. Now there is, and, it's, and, and the good thing not not only is there this talent pool now, I believe it's going to grow. Yeah, I know. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. On an unrelated note, although it was with the soccer game last night, I got to say one of the funniest things I've seen, although when I say funny, I wanted someone to go and spray water on the guy or something. A Canadian player went down because he got clanked in the shins or something. I don't even know what he did. And you watch the TV camera and it's very easy to see who the Panamanian goalie was because he's wearing the yellow uniform. He's the only guy on the field wearing a yellow uniform. <laughs> they sh And he's standing there looking. No expression on his face. And then the next camera shot goes to the Canadian guy on the ground. They come back now. It's 10 seconds later. And suddenly the Panamanian goalie is rolling around on the ground, clutching his ankle and screaming in agony. And it's like, come on. Like all the good stuff that we get out of soccer, that this is improving, that we want to watch. Uh, uh, somehow along the way, and this is a discussion for another day, somewhere along the way, there's got to be some sort of eye in the sky or something that if you take an obvious dive and it's clear that you're faking, they call down to the official and they go, you, you're done for the day. Thank you. Leave the field. We don't need that anymore. That's it. We'll, we'll talk about that another, but I thought it was hilarious, but I also thought it was infuriating because it's such a black eye on the sport that does not need to be there anyway. Yeah, I, I, it is. I also feel like it's part of the sport. It's part of the, the I mean, it's, South Americans would say it's part of the beauty of the sport in itself that the, you know, the diving and, and that, and that, and that's something as we as North Americans, because we play hockey and football and, you know, we sort of have a different attitude towards it. And I don't know if that'll ever change there, Scott. I think that's just part of it. Hey, it's happening in hockey and NBA, and people are getting fined for it. 
uh, I think it'll, the, the simulation will 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 never cease to continue. Uh, simulation. I love simulation. how they give it such a classy, elegant name. <laughs> simulation. I didn't well, want to say dive. I just like yeah. simulation. <laughs> you know, uh, so. All right, let us switch for a second here because the NHL season has started. And already the talk has begun because Alex Ovechkin got two goals last night. He's now tied for fifth all time with Marcel Dion. He, the, the, the attention is going to get bigger and bigger as he closes in on Wayne Gretzky's all time goal scoring mark. So my question for you is this, Bubba 2004, Alex Ovechkin was the first player taken in the NHL draft. 2005, Sidney Crosby was the first player taken in the NHL draft. If you today, even, even with the value of retrospect, if you were a general manager and you would take, you could take one of those two guys, who would you have picked? Even now, looking back, who would you take for your team? I had to take Ovechkin because I always have to take the guy that scores goals over than the guy that sets up goals. You can always find guys that set up goals. You finding a pure goal scorer is one of the hardest things to do. It's 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 just as hard as finding that rock solid. 200 foot defensemen and they're hard to come by i see i'm surprised you said that i thought you were going to go crosby i, I would and, go crosby and, but i and and let's not forget health I, you can count yeah, on yeah, you, yeah. you can count on two hands how many games you know ovechkin has missed in his entire career uh yeah no, no, no you it. know what i love it, it. you're right and and here's the thing i mean it's it's a great debate because there is no wrong answer and with most of these, there is someone who is a clear cut. Like, even if you say, who would you take, Gretzky or Lemieux? You know, Gretzky was so far ahead of everyone else in points. And I know Lemieux had great seasons, but I don't know how many people would say they'd take Mario if they really had to, you know, be pinned right down and if it was legit. But this one, you can't go wrong. You've got, as a one of the top 10 centers of all, well, more than top 10 centers. You've got one of the top five centers probably of all time. And you've got one of the top five wingers of all time, and, and love, one of the I love best Sid, goals. But I'm not, I can't. I can't give him top five, Scott. I give him top ten. I, I, I think you can think about ten center, five centers better than him. You know, and again, health has health has to be part of the equation. It has to be, right? But so, would that be different if if Sidney Crosby had been playing in the eighties? Would he have not like we look at a guy like Dale Howarchuk and look right. uh, nothing against nothing bad against Dale Howarchuk and not just because he's passed away but I mean he, he was a tremendous 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 player fantastic who got but would Sidney Crosby got, not career. be better if there was the open space that Dale Howarchuk had and the goalies that play the way they do would Sidney Crosby not have fifty percent more points than he does in the dead puck era maybe may, maybe but he'd have to be on the ice to do that too. Right, and that's the unfortunate part because remember, at that time, players were getting even though the game was wide open, you could still get lit up without a penalty. Right, guys, you had guys like Scott, you had predators like Scott Stevens rolling around that would line you up, and unfortunately, Sid is just not built for that. Even though he's able to to play a grinding game and has really adopted and changed his game to be a little bit more physical, uh, I don't know how he would have done in that fast paced hard-hitting sort of style of play. I think it suits him now because he's well-protected, he's well-insulated. But I, again, I, you have to take the guy that scores goals. And believe me, I, and it's, I remember, I love Sid, but if Alex Ovechkin passes Wayne Gretzky in terms of goal scoring, that's not even a question anymore, Scott. It has to be Ovechkin. 
I haven't looked. Uh, who has more points? I, I honestly don't know the answer right now. Does Ovechkin or Crosby have more points? I believe Ovechkin. Because, because goal scoring, I mean, look, you're right about goal scoring. Um, but, you know, I mean, assists do count. What, a secondary assist? Well, how many, how many you, of those do secondary assists? So let's see here. I'm just looking here. So I'm going down, going down, going down. Where Sidney Crosby is 34. Oh, here it is. I mean, how perfect. Sidney Crosby is 34th all time. He has one more point than Alex Ovechkin, who's 35th all time. One more point. That is unbelievable. Now that he's is done unbelievable. In, he's done it in about 160 fewer games, but nonetheless, that's uh, that's to your point about uh, about health that you have to have health too. It's it's a but great this, debate. But this is but this is where you this is where I feel like I I, I kind of get you a little bit because if you're even on points, give me the guy that scores. Yeah, I, the, the one thing I'll say, though, that Crosby does better than Ovechkin, though, is it, there's also the element of defending and some other things in the game that I think Crosby does better. But look, it's again, it's you could sit here and argue all day long about these two and not have a wrong or a right answer. It's just it's they're, personal they're, preference. They're, 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 you know, again, generational players that just... You just said, come on, come along once in a generation. And I've uh, always thought about this, about what would have happened because remember, Washington got the first pick in 2004, so they chose Ovechkin. Then there was the strike or the lockout or the work stoppage, whatever it was. And Pittsburgh won the lottery to get Crosby. How how would the NHL have looked different, or would it have, if they if Crosby had been out the year before and Ovechkin? So if Washington had chosen Crosby and then Pittsburgh won the lottery and Ovechkin wow. was their pick. <laughs> Who knows? You right? know. Because then you would have had him playing with Malkin the whole time because Malkin's a center. Oh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? You know, right? You know what? Quick, quick question to you: Who would you who would you rather have? I mean, again, you're taking it. You're going to build a team. Who would you rather have, Sackick or Iserman? I would probably take Iserman because he not only could score, but he could do the defensive stuff better than Sackick did, and ooh, he played that ooh. role when he needed to. Ooh. But, but if you said to me. You can you can't have Iserman, but you can have Sackick. I'm not going to be prying in the corner, right? I mean, it's you're 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 not exactly hurting. Joe Sackick was an unbelievable player, so it's just one of the great debates. All right, just before I let you go, I have to say this, and I just got to get this off my chest. And I saw a tweet about this today from Ken Campbell, used to be with the Hockey News, and I'm echoing it because I've been thinking the same thing, and he prompted me to say this: the most boring thing now in all of sports is hockey's shootout. We have got to get rid of the shootout. It is absolutely boring beyond words. Just let them play the overtime three on three until someone scores. You know what the most boring thing in, in hockey is right now? And I just and this 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 was confirmed to me last night. The most entertain the, the most boring thing in hockey right now is intermissions on Canadian sports television networks. Well, okay, now. that too. They're that horrible, too. right? And it took T, it took TNT. One game, one game to provide the most entertaining intermission I've seen in a decade. With Charles Barkley and Wayne Gretzky. One game. It took TNT one game to do that, Scott. Why can't we, why can't we do entertaining intermissions anymore, any longer? Like, I, well, and, I know, and, I, and I know you love Don Cherry. Well, look, I, I'm not, I'm not clamoring for him to come back. I, I think Don Cherry had his time and he served his purpose and he was highly entertaining and he was, 
he he got people either on side or not on side, but he got people talking. I, I you know, t- time it's okay to move on from Don Cherry, but surely I'm with you. Surely, just because there's no Don Cherry does not mean there can be nothing else. Surely, there's got to be some other thing you can do that will keep our attention. And you know, last night uh, I'll, I'll say this, and and one of the guys who I think helps. Kevin BX has said something last night and I only caught a bit and piece of it because I was watching some, I don't know, <clears throat> but he was talking about Tom Wilson of the Capitals, which speaking of the Capitals and Ovechkin, Tom Wilson, of the Capitals, and Ryan Reeves of the Rangers. And he said, he thinks that Tom Wilson is somewhat scared of Reeves. Mm-hmm. And I thought, finally, someone says something besides the pablum, yep. you know, cliche stuff. And Tom Wilson is probably on Twitter right now or on text screaming it at BXA. Thank goodness someone there will say something. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and the best part about it is BX doesn't care what anyone thinks, right? Like, and it took a guy from Grimsby to shake it up a little bit. Love it. There you go. It's uh, maybe maybe Sportsnet can hire Charles Barkley to come and do uh, do hockey. And the, well, the the best thing about it, and I only saw the the clip afterwards. If you haven't seen it, people can go online and look it up. The best part is, I think Wayne Gretzky was shooting with real pucks. And no, Charles were, Barkley, were they, they rubber? Were, they were full. They were rubber. Oh, they were full. Okay. Because I was saying, I, I didn't see that. And I'm thinking Charles Barkley has got some serious guts. If he's willing to stand there, even if Gretzky's not firing them, wearing no equipment except a blocker and a glove. You know what? I can tell you, even with the rubber puck, brother, <laughs> with Wayne Gretzky, like that first, the first one he scored on him, Believe me, I don't think Wayne let up a little bit. (laughs) No, Wayne had to get the first one in to make sure, and then he could joke about it afterwards. Even if Barkley stopped all the next four, he could go, come on, I let up. you got to score the first one. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this, Bubba. It's an honor. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.